thanks for downloading this official Munster Rugby podcast. For more, go to MunsterRugby.ie or subscribe to Munster Rugby on SoundCloud or iTunes. This, this is the Crooked Feed podcast. Hi everyone, I'm Duncan Casey and welcome to the Crooked Feed, the official podcast series of MunsterRugby.ie. In each episode, we'll take a look at the latest happenings in Munster, both on and off the field, get to know some players a little bit better, and catch up with a few legends of the past. To kick things off, Conor Murray joins us to reflect on a groundbreaking November series with Ireland, and to look ahead to a hectic month of Champions Cup and interprovincial action in the red jersey. What was more impressive was the fact that we just kind of gritted it out. You know, Australia, like you said, New Zealand did come back into the game, but we got a quick score afterwards, and then... We got Robbie Stroy towards the end, and it was it was done. Whereas Australia, they, they they came into the game, took the lead. I think the grit and determination to get back into the game was was really impressive. As part of our getting to know series, we have an in-depth sit down with Francis Saili, who gives some insight into his Samoan heritage and his progression to the pinnacle of world rugby with the All Blacks. Uh, me and my brother went and visited the last time we went there was in 2013, and um, it opened our eyes to actually see where our parents actually came from, the poverty that um, they went through, and the struggles that that they walked was actually an eye-opener for me and my brother. And with one of the greatest rivalries in European rugby to be renewed at Thoman Park this weekend, we speak to Munster legend David Wallace about his memories of Munster versus Leicester through the seasons and to get his thoughts on Saturday's game. These two teams, I suppose, typify that, that style of play, you know, that dominance up front and the back feeding off that. Come breakdown, come maul, come scrum, line out. All of the areas are going to have to be so nailed on. Also, stand tickets might be sold out for the game, but you can win them here on the Crooked Feed a little later on. The Crooked Feed Podcast. First up, his performances against New Zealand and Australia this autumn showed once again why so many people consider Conor Murray to be the best scrum half in world rugby. You would think that a try and a first ever win against the All Blacks would be his fondest memory of the series, but it was the guts and determination his teammates showed to grind out a victory against Australia that he singles out. Yeah, um, very, very successful looking back on it, I think. The main thing to make it successful was that win against Australia. While New Zealand was amazing, a piece of history, um, a really good high. It was the first week of four weeks, so I think for the lads to to play, you know, against New Zealand again at home, and we actually put in the performance not up to our, our our usual standard, and to come away from that game, um, losing to New Zealand by just over uh, just over seven points, or whatever, it was a two score game in the end, but. Um, to be frustrated at that is it shows where we are as a team and then uh, for you know to have 15 changes in the Canada game and then get a performance out of that um, and a few new guys coming in uh, especially a few months ago is Jack O'Donoghue to start um, you know John Ryan Billy Holland who has been working for a long long time getting getting his chance um, was brilliant you know that was a different week but but a lot of positives out of it and then to go into the Australia week and get a win um, was really really important for that for our group of players because had we not beaten them you know we wouldn't have really fired a shot since Chicago. Um, really really important that we performed against Australia. While we made it hard for ourselves with the back line at the end, we had wingers, our scrum halves on the wing, and Joey Carberry uh, an out half at full back. Um, you know I thought we showed a lot of fight, so it shows shows that we're in a, a pretty good place. Absolutely, and just to stay in the Australia game, I, I'd argue it was an even more exciting game than the game in Chicago because you never seemed to lose control of the game in Chicago, whereas it seemed you did for a period of the game against Australia. And obviously, as you said, you had Kieran Marmion on the wing, uh, Joey Carby at full back, early in the centre with Gary Ringrose, a partnership that had never played together before. 
yet you pull through and you get the results. Um, when you were faced with that number of curveballs, were you just thinking of damage limitation and try and take a score if it presents itself, or was the plan the same to take the game to the Australians? Yeah, I think definitely a bit of both, to be honest with you. I think take the game to the Australians because they are as dangerous, if not more so than the All Blacks. They're, it's really, really hard to defend. And I, I find from playing against both of them a couple of times now, Australia for me and there's not much in it but Australia just seem to be that bit more dangerous they they love to play flat with a lot of width and just run you from side to side and use the full width of the pitch and that they cause you an awful lot of problems so it was um when we had that many changes it was damage limitation in terms of when you're defending them try and stop them offloading and getting those momentum plays together and uh, stopping the likes of Falau on the ball when he will break the first or second tackle nearly all of the time and get an offload away and he caused havoc for for a while so that part of the game was whether our full 15 stayed on for the game it was always going to try and contain their their attack because it is really really expansive and dangerous and um, with the, the changes that came on with the the likes of Marmion and then Joey and then Gary in the centre with, with Erlsey, um it's a bit of a weird one. I don't think it would happen in any other squad in, in the world, pr- probably, but those guys, especially Marms, talking to Marms after the game, you know, he had, he's had he been in camp for so long and there's such emphasis put on detail in our squad that, you know, he probably knew a winger's role from from just hearing Joe talk to the, to the winger so much and demanding so much of them that he had a fair idea of where he was supposed to be uh, the majority of the time and he did a really, really good job. Um, so the, the guys who came in and were put out of position like Joey who's relatively new in our squad kind of knew where to go but I think what was more impressive was the fact that we just kind of gritted it out we know Australia like you said New Zealand did come back into the game but we got a quick score afterwards and then we got Robbie's try towards the end and it was it was done whereas Australia they, they, they came into the game took the lead which is which is mentally a, a really hard place to come back from so I think the grit and determination and just the kind of togetherness we showed to get back into the game was, was really impressive. Uh, rewinding a little bit, you made your Munster debut in 2010 at the age of 20 or 21, was it? 20, I think. 20, yeah. and your Irish debut 15 months later in the lead-up to the 2011 World Cup. Uh, you go on to start in the decisive test on the Lions Tour to Australia in 2013, you're instrumental in Ireland winning back-to-back Six Nations titles in 2014 and 2015, and then you win your 50th cap for Ireland this year, a couple of months after turning 27. People looking at your career would think things really couldn't get any better for this guy, which would be understandable. Then you go out and give one of the best performances an Irish scrum half has ever given and really steer the team towards putting 40 points on arguably the best All Blacks team of all time. People talk about living the dream or dreams coming true. That is literally something you might have dreamed about in the past. It doesn't really get any better than that, does it? No, when you when you read it out like that, it it does sound a bit kind of fairy ta- fairy taleish. But I, I, you you kind of take it one week at a time. And I suppose after that New Zealand game, you you can't really hide away from the from the plaudits or people coming up to you and, and saying well done. So you 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 take it in your stride and you you really appreciate it for what it is right now because. Um, I think the the early part of my career, I was just playing rugby and just trying to play well and enjoying the lads. And and probably the second half of my career so far, you you just mature a little bit more. You 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 understand what it means to people, how lucky you are to be able to to do this as a job as a career. Um, what gets to me is when people ask you those kind of questions. Are you living a dream? Absolutely. It's it's a 
a dream of mine to to be playing for Munster, playing for Ireland, um, and everything like that. But to put it in context, every year I see people retire, my friends, my teammates, coaches leaving for whatever reason. So you got to kind of be aware of that in, in in your head as well. But um, you have to find a balance, be real realistic about how short the career it is. But yeah, you're right. At the moment, things are are, are going really well. Um, you know, I think. It, being injury free plays a massive part in that. I've seen, you know, again friends, teammates, uh, you know, be struck down with injuries at at the wrong time, and and then they just they seem to slip away a little bit. You know, thank thankfully touch wood that, you know, I haven't had a bad injury, and uh, yeah, and any injury I've had has been actually well timed. If there is a, a time to get a a good time to get an injury, I've had um one or two scopes on on either knee, um, and they have all been during the summer during pre-season or just before pre-season when I've been off so um, I've been very very lucky to get a a, a run at a full season more often than not and then and, and build on that but yeah I think things are, are, are going well right now and it's just about in, enjoying playing rugby and, 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 and trying to get to the next level you, you know you, you know yourself there's never a perfect game you know like people came up after that All Blacks game and, and were you know saying well done and that must be the best game you've ever played and it probably is up there with one of them, but I, I still look. I probably it's a professional sports person thing. You you look at it with a f- with a critical eye, and there's a few things in there that kind of frustrated me. And for instance, I, I got I got charged down with with one of my clearance kicks, and it actually just went a little bit forward and into touch, and it was our line out again. But in my head, I was like, that could have gone completely differently, you know. Mm-hmm. And that, then you're probably a villain. It's yeah. it's it's there's a fine line, as <laughs> you know is, well. Yeah, you know, so balance, yeah. Um, yeah, look, you just enjoy it for for what it is right now course that's all you can do really uh you ended up taking you kicked a penalty in that game uh, which i personally haven't seen you do since you were playing for gary owen against me going back a long time uh is is it something that you is it something that you miss at any point like obviously you still prepare as a goal kicker which people wouldn't necessarily see like you you practice your kicking like the same almost the same to the same degree as the tens would or any of the other kickers would and you weren't a mediocre kicker by any means. Like you were, you were a very good goal kicker. Like your percentages would have been excellent in the AIL and playing for Munster A. Is it something that you wish you did, or are you happy not to have that hanging over your shoulders? Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a strange one. Um, I think it's the timing. Yeah, I, I loved it as a youngster and underage and and playing with club rugby with Gary Owen and and, uh, and then at the A the A team at Munster for a while. And yeah, I I I kind of. I always try and wonder why I stopped there, why I, I didn't keep it up as much. I, I do prepare, definitely do prepare, no, definitely not as much as the as the, the out-haves and our frontline goal kickers, but I definitely keep it in the locker. It's something to kind of, you know, that was probably a moment where it did pay off because had I not practiced before or pra- have a routine in Chicago, it, I was so in the game and so in a kind of a flow or whatever, um, Richie came on with the tee and said, just do just your normal normal routine and strike it because I, I do have a routine. I have my certain amount of steps backside and I have a few thought processes that I, I do when I'm practicing and you're so in the moment that I was able to just calm myself down and, you know, it was fr- straight in front of the post and people assume you're going to get it. I find those kicks probably the hardest kicks because they, they think it's easy. So I, I was very glad I had a routine to go into and have that, but probably to go back on why I I, I stopped I th- timing wise I think when I broke into Munster it was Raj it was Raj was the 10 and, and he was kicking and um that was m- my focus was so um driven on just getting into the team and playing well as a scrum half and 
focusing on my, probably my past more so than anything else and um the rest of my game kind of developed and and place kicking just took a back seat it just took a back seat because Raj was there Paul Warwick was there the, um Scott DC was there Declan Cusack were there and they were all tens and they were just goal kickers and um I just it just it just took a little side side part for a while but it's something that I do prepare for um and you know you never know when you're going to be called on it and you know at, at the time in that game it did it put us it put us 11 points up or I can't remember what it put us beyond two scores anyway and get a little bit of breathing space which was nice uh, and I knew that at the time so to to kind of come through and, and slot that was was very very pleasing so it's something I enjoy something I really do enjoy doing uh, we spoke about the Canada game briefly already you obviously weren't involved but it was a notable game for Munster as you said already in that Jack, John and Billy got their first caps which was great to see uh, you're pretty much part of the furniture up in Irish camp you've been up there for so long but it must be great to see other Munster lads coming in and getting a chance and as you mentioned already Billy who you've known for so long and played alongside so many times and who has played for Munster 140 times at this point in his career and has really been a leader in the side in the last few years do you get a bit of a kick out of seeing guys come in and getting their opportunity? Yeah, definitely. Um, I suppose that the Irish squad has been, and rightly so, um, dominated by, by Leinster players and, and Ulster players uh, over the last four or five years. And that's that's probably something we use as motivation in our province, which is, which is natural enough. But at the time, uh, over the last four or five years, they have been the, the driving forces, particularly Leinster. So there was no... There's no argument there, but to see some guys come in like Jack, like uh, John, like Billy, um, has been brilliant. It's it, it just shows from a monster perspective as a whole. It just shows that we're we're doing something right down here right now, and we're we are hopefully on an upward curve with with, with a with a big testing eight weeks ahead uh, with the European games, the the derbies, and the European games afterwards again. That would be a real test of of where we're at. But right now, I think things are going really 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 well, and it's great to see. Um, but to see Billy up there was, you're all you're really really proud and really really happy because, as a person as a professional, um, you know everyone else in the squad knows how hard he works and how, how much he gives off the pitch to rugby. You know he he he's a a really good athlete. He trains really hard. He he takes all those boxes. But it's the, it's the extra hours he works on his li- on the lineouts, studying lineouts, almost like a poly type character. I think. He's been he's been around nearly as long as Paulie, so he's picked up pretty much every trait Paulie had. Um, so I think you know they probably helped him get in get in the door as well. But to, yeah, to see someone like that um, work so hard for so long because you know like some people get a get an opportunity really young and and it, it's there's a there's there's an element of luck in in professional sport as well. Um, so to see Billy just just to stay at it and keep working, keep driving uh, was was brilliant. We can look ahead to a really exciting Six Nations. Eddie Jones has obviously helped England to establish themselves as a real powerhouse of world rugby again. Saying that, Ireland are playing the best rugby you've probably ever played. It's exciting, it's confrontational, it's effective. Uh, You're obviously looking forward to that ahead of a lot, I can imagine. But before all that, as you alluded to already, we in Munster have an incredibly gruelling period of matches coming up. And nobody is under any illusion that it isn't going to be a hellish few weeks. But I know everyone is really excited about it. I think the side is in the best possible place it can be coming into a period like this. What are your thoughts as you look ahead to some very big and probably memorable occasions? Coming back down after November, you know there's been a buzz around around the squad and around the team. And the team have been winning close games, which, which we haven't, which last year, the year before, I would bet we would we would have lost. Just because of... 
it just seems to be a bit more of a togetherness about the group right now. Um, you know, whether, you know, Axel passing had a part to play in that, which is which is natural. And I think that I think before that anyway, that we had been building something really good here. And like I said, it's 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 going to be a massive test of what where we're at. But it's it's really exciting. Like you said, it, it they are they are big games. They are pressure games. But that's why you play this this game. Um, and that's why you, you kind of the more you play these games, the more you savor these type of atmospheres and these type of occasions these type of weeks the, like we have a home european game at the weekend and it's you know the buzz is is going to be around the city and people are going to be chatting to you and you can you will really get a sense of it um, and they're really special times to be involved so i think um you know the group is really excited i think bar a couple um you know we have pretty much a full deck to, to choose from which which is rare at this stage of the season so it's great that you know, we we've a, a pretty good injury profile of the squad, bar uh, you and a couple of other players. But um, you know, it's a good place to be, definitely. Connor, thanks a million for coming in to chat to me. Cheers, Doug. No problem. This this is the Crooked Feed podcast. On this episode of the Crooked Feed, you can win stand tickets to Munster versus Leicester Tigers at Poma Park this Saturday. To win, answer this simple question. Can you name the international brothers who play at Scrum Half and Hooker for Leicester Tigers? Email your answers to competitions at munsterrugby.ie by midday on Friday. And don't forget to include a name and contact number. With over 23,000 tickets sold, both stands are now sold out, but the last remaining terrace tickets can be purchased at munsterrugby.ie. On the field, a man with a touch of world class. Zebo, Saili. Lovely footwork from the off the field, it's hard to find a bigger character. Show me the money! Who's your favourite Samoan? You're my favourite Samoan! And what you gonna do, Jerry? Show me the money! He's also one of the hardest working professionals I've ever come across. In the first part of our Getting to Know series on the Crooked Feed, we chat with Francis Saili. Yeah, obviously I'm back in with the, in, in, into the mix with the boys. Um, shoulders feeling fine, did a little bit of contact afterwards. Um, but the most concerning thing for me now is just getting my lungs back into um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> back into play again. But yeah, everything's going well at the moment. Good. I'm sure everyone will be delighted to hear. Just want to give people an idea of who you are and where you've come from. I think a lot of the time when supporters hear players talk, um, it, it's very kind of sanitized with regards to what we say in the media and to journalists. So mm. um, I think people would really appreciate the chance to get to know more about you and where you've come from. So you grew up in Auckland, but you're obviously very proud of your Samoan heritage. Um, that's something we're all very conscious of, and it's something that's very important to you. When you were growing up, was it something that your parents made an effort to make you aware of? Yeah, obviously they'll be speaking to us in Samoan. Um, and as I was growing up, um, my father um, always embedded um, having a Samoan culture uh, in us. And... Um, you know, I never really got to uh, know my Samoan side until I went to Samoa myself. Uh, me and my brother went and visited. The last time we went there was in 2013 and um, opened our eyes to actually see where our parents actually came from, uh, the poverty that um, they went through and the struggles that um, that they walked. Uh, it was, yeah, it was, actually, it was actually an eye-opener for me and my brother. And um, from then on, it was more so of, it was more like a motivation for us to kind of, you know, put our family on the map um, and aspire to become what we are today. 
I read recently that uh, your father set goals for you and your brother to play for the Blues and the All Blacks when you were very young. Mm. Uh, he coached you uh, with your local club. Uh, he was obviously very supportive of everything. How big of an influence was he on your rugby career as a kid? Yeah, I'd say um, he was the biggest influence in my, my childhood coming up, uh, especially through my rugby. Um, you know, he he moved to New Zealand for, for a better life for us. And um, thankfully... Um, you know, the struggles that we went through uh, growing up, uh, we kind of look back at it and uh, we appreciate what we went through um, and, you know, the influence that he put on me, uh, especially as a coach. You know, it was hard because he was a lot harder on me than any of, any of the other kids. Um, but in saying that as well, it just showed, like, uh, how much passion he, he had for, for the game, how much passion he had for, um, for us kids to try and make it. And um, thankfully, when Pete, my brother, uh, put our family on the map first. It was more for me to kind of aspire towards that and be on the same level as him. So my dad had a big influence on us, and it was awesome. You and Peter, who is now playing in Bordeaux, played together actually at St Peter's College. Uh, I think when when he was close to leaving, and I mean you must have been in what 15 at that stage, were you? 15, yeah. 15, yeah. So there's obviously a three-year gap <laughs> there. So that's pretty impressive by any standards. Um, at what stage were you identified as being a bit special? Was it around that time, or was it earlier? Yeah, so I was around, I was around 14 years old, 14, 15, uh, kind of getting picked up uh, through the pre-academy um, and just kind of getting going through that system, um, especially for a young guy like me. Seeing my brother go through um, the age grades and then um, seeing him like blossom into, you know, the big teams, um, I wanted to follow the same path. So I started off at 14 years old and then gradually went on um, when I finished school, uh, got picked up into the academy and then had to like kind of work in my craft to try and make it into the ITM Cup, which is the team that we wanted to make it as as young fellas, as 19 or 20 year olds. And um, once you're once you're there, it's pretty much like if you want to aspire to become a Blues player, you work your ass off to to get there. And if you want to aspire to become an ABs player, you know it's like a next level, um, and it's a bit of a jump. So um, yeah, there's a bit of a process to get there, but yeah, it's good. Uh, you said that people used to refer to you as Peter Saeeli's little brother uh, when you were coming through the ranks. Um, I don't know, you, you said that your father had a massive influence on you, which is to be expected, but how much of an influence did Peter have in your rugby? He obviously inspired you a lot, but was he dragging you out to train with him? Was he giving you feedback on the various aspects of your game? Was he always trying to make you a better player? <laughs> He'll probably laugh at it because like, I always do remember him bullying me, um, uh, dragging me down to the park. We see live around the corner. Uh, from from like it was a pretty big park where all the locals used to come down and play around and stuff. And he used to drag me down to the park, and uh, you know we used to do a training session. But I used to be like his guinea pig. Um, you know, if I if he was to practice his, his tackling, I'll be the one that'll be on the receiving end, like running it straight to him, um, which was pretty cool for me because I kind of saw the hunger and you know um, the passion that he wanted to you know get out of it, and it was something for me to be like. When I watched his games uh, at Eden Park, when he was playing for Auckland, um, after that I'll go down to the park myself after the game and I'll try and you know kick the ball around and try and you know emulate some of the plays that they did that day. And I kind of that was something for me to kind of try and aspire to was to play alongside my brother. Yeah, that's, that's, that's obviously it's obviously terrific. We can see it with the scandals and uh, Phil Manny's at the moment. Mm. How terrific an experience that must be for you. Uh, you made your debut in the OTM Cup in 2011 for Auckland. You made your Blues debut in 2012, and you made your All Blacks debut in 2013 at the age of 22. That's quite a quick climb to the pinnacle of world rugby. Uh, were you aware of how impressive that was? Did it ever freak you out a little bit? <sighs> to be honest, back then I didn't know how 
like the fast track how we got uh, how me and a few of my boys that um when we played in 2013 we didn't know how fast it was for us um being like introduced into the all blacks at that age but like i just still remember when i was 21 years old all i remember was just having to just enjoy myself uh, with my teammates and just when i was, used to see the guys that i used to watch on tv um like jericho coco or like um you know i saw twelve those fellas uh, when i played alongside them that, that was like a dream for me like playing alongside them and even better was playing alongside my brother and um and then when i was i don't know 22 years old you know i was just didn't really cross my mind on having to play for the all blacks i was just happy out just enjoying myself and then when i had a bit of a sniff knowing that i was playing playing well at um at that age um you know i i could actually see it for myself that that is possible for me to put on that jersey and uh when i did um yeah i just didn't think that i was going to be like that year that's terrific it's uh it was a similar rise to Conor Murray experienced here uh, did it mature you or force you to grow up a bit more quickly than you otherwise would have like you're younger than me but i certainly never got the impression that you were you were really old <laughs> mature head on your shoulders <laughs> do you think that played a part in it um like um when you're in the all blacks environment for me um if i can remember back at that um back at that time i literally was a little bit um i don't think i was how would i say it like um my mental state i was still like just starstruck being in the environment so for me i should have um relished the opportunity or just relished or just embraced the the feeling of being an all black um kind of in an arrogant way being like this like they picked me for a reason um when i was when i was, when i did get picked i was like oh cheap is like <laughs> like you know what i mean like i was kind of like i was like kind of like starstruck for myself uh being in that um environment so um along the uh, along along that year um as the year went on sorry um it kind of did open my eyes to know that you know i have a responsibility in this team um and it did mature me in a way where you know kind of you know it kind of made me want to drive and you know want to cement a place in the all blacks um and then unfortunately the year after I had a bad year of injuries um and then obviously when you have a bad year of injuries you know other players get opportunities to showcase what they have for the um all black coaches and unfortunately I didn't get picked again that year and um I was playing catch up but then again it was open it was an eye opener for me to kind of see it as an opportunity to be like look you know it didn't work for me um I can still aspire to become an all black and um but things change so you are very laid back and easy going but when it comes to rugby which is your job at the end of the day you take it incredibly seriously you train harder than anyone I've ever played with did you always have a really genuine love for training or is that something you only developed as you got a bit older no i, I always had it when um i was um in school uh when i was 17 years old i was i captained um my first 15 team and that was like a big responsibility for me so i kind of looked at it as a way of you know if i if i can lead through my actions um you know other players can you know follow uh, behind me and um it kind of just flowed on through uh during my rugby years and you know i always want to be better i always want to there's always a day where i always want to just keep getting better because um at the end of the day for me uh some people might not know some people might know is that you know i just want to win championships and the best way to do it is just putting in the hard work each day and you know i always feel like and there's no substitute for hard work. It's a cliche line, but I always stick with that for myself. 
as I said, you're you, you're laid back. You, you don't take yourself too seriously. Uh, one thing which highlighted that and which Munster fans would have seen when they learned that you were on the way over was the Jerry Maguire skit that you <laughs> did with your brother, uh, which which is very entertaining and worth having a look at uh, if anyone <laughs> hasn't seen it. It's on YouTube. It's not on YouTube, love. Were you always outgoing? <laughs> were you always outgoing and sociable, or is that something something that develops in your personality over time? The reason that I ask is that a lot of the more personable and outgoing people that I know say that they were very shy when they were younger and they only kind of learned to come out of their shells <laughs> as they got a bit more comfortable <laughs> with themselves. Were you always gonna? Were you, were you always kind of like you are now, or um, were, were you ever the quiet kid? I can't. I can't picture <laughs> you the quiet kid. But I just love to be bubbly and yeah, just enjoy yeah, myself yeah. and have a bit of a laugh. Well, like yeah, that uh, that attitude to life is can be something of a breath of fresh air in professional rugby. Uh, it's obviously a very serious business and people are very dedicated to being the best they can be and getting the most out of their career and we have great crack here in Munster don't get me wrong as you've seen yourself but hmm. we, d we don't have many personalities like yours here and I know people found it to be a really nice counterbalance to things last season when results weren't going particularly well and people were pe people were going around with scowls on their faces at times you know because yeah. obviously we're we're all in the business of winning, and when you're not winning, mm. people don't tend to be as happy as w when you are winning, and and you can really see that this season. Uh, is that kind of an approach more commonplace back home? Like, were you surprised there weren't more personalities like that here? I think I think for me, when I came here, I had an open mind on um, you know, what I was getting myself into. Um, I knew I was going to get myself into the unknown, not knowing what I was going to, you know, um, fall into, um, and knowing that. You know, meeting you boys, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of crack, as you said, and um, you know, I like that. There's a lot of banter, and it reminds me of back home as well. Um, a lot like from where I come from, like uh, we never take things too seriously. You know, when when it comes to your job, you know, you want to be, you know, in the moment and uh, put on the right hat. So if it's like putting on your rugby hat, you want to put on your rugby hat. If you want to put on your social hat, you put on your social hat. It's not taking things um or life too seriously. So. Um, for me, uh, once I played a game and once I finished it, I just know that um, you know I can sit down next to my teammate, share a beer with him, um, and just say, "Look, if we had won, you know, well done. Uh, if we had lost, then well, we just know that we have to be better for next week." In it, you obviously came here in 2015 and you made the decision to come. I know how important family is to you and how much you loved life back in Auckland. <coughs> how difficult a decision was it to leave? Yeah, it was pretty hard. To be honest, um, I was gonna. At the time that I was um, deciding what I was gonna do, um, I thought I was gonna stay, um, but then some circumstances uh, with my family um, had changed, and my brother left to go over to Bordeaux. Um, and then in, in 2015, that was the first year I never played alongside my brother, so it was kind of weird for me. And um, you know, at the end of the day, I just kind of saw it as you know opportunity for myself to kind of. You know, get away from my comfort zone, um, experience the world, better myself um, as a person, but also as a rugby player. You know, as hard as it is um, being away from my family, and as hard as it is um, not being able to just go down the road to see my parents. Um, you know, what I always looked at in, inside Munster is that no, no matter how small the place is um, or how big it is, it's the people that you know that I value the most. Uh, it's the people inside the organisation and. Um, hats off to the boys around here because it's made the transition and 
for me and my family uh, when they come and visit. Um, easy process. Outside of rugby, you're very interested in the fashion industry and clothing design and have said that's the line of work you would ideally like to get into after rugby. Mm. That's obviously, that's a little bit unusual as far as we're concerned. We don't have too many people. <laughs> I can see. Get in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. <laughs> uh, so yeah, tell us about that. Uh, yeah, I've always been, want to keep an eye on um, you know, the, the new trends, um, especially the fashion side of things. Um, you know, I, I guess for myself, I've always looked at myself and you know, you know, trying to be different, you know, to everyone else. And, um, you know, when it comes to clothing, uh, you know, I always try and point out, uh, you know, the or, or if I see someone, you know, what's the point of difference that they wear? And I'd be like this, oh, I like what they wear. And, you know, the sense if it's like whether they're sneakers or, you know, their pants or, you know, whatever it is, uh, I kind of point it out. And you know, I've always been into fashion. So um, seeing as I want to do my own fashion line, um, it's a far fetch um, at the moment, but, you know, um, if I can just slowly make some small progresses, as like doing my sewing course or, um, you know, in January doing like a web design, anything like that. Um, it's just a s slow process just on the side of, um, you know, my, my career. Um, and obviously my, my priority at the moment is uh, rugby, but, you know, outside of that, you always need to take your mind off, you know, your job. So, you know, keeping, you know, the fashion um, side of things, uh, kind of distracts my mind off of rugby so yeah it's pretty cool francis that was very interesting and enjoyable so thanks very much for taking the time to chat to me thanks brother appreciate it this this is the crooked feed podcast as munster prepared to renew an historic rivalry against leicester tigers at home park on saturday we chat with a man well aware of the challenge ahead former munster ireland and british and irish lions flanker david wallace Thanks very much, David, for taking the call. How are you? I'm very good, Duncan. Thanks for having me. Just looking ahead to the game this weekend and the game next weekend against Leicester Tigers, you obviously had many clashes against the Tigers over the course of your career. How big of an occasion is it for both sets of players and both sets of fans? Um, yeah, there have been some uh, epic struggles, I suppose, down through the years. And uh, um, Monster and, Le and Leicester have, um, you know, have put on some great shows. Um, you know, obviously we've... we've We've had a final, uh, a controversial final where Neil back, you know, the hand of hand of back, um, uh, was was used towards the end of the game. That that um, you know, obviously uh, denied Munster Munster ball, denied ourselves ball upon a, an important phase, and possibly you know would have would have gone on to to maybe maybe perhaps win it. And um, you know, then you have a, a, a 2003 an epic battle over there in the quarter final, Munster won and. I was lucky to be part of a of a win over there as well in in 2007, and vice versa. Then, if of Leicester have have beaten us in 2007, the first team to do it in in in, um, in Soma Park in the Heineken Cup, and uh, and only team to do it, to, to beat us twice there um, when they're last year. So, I mean, it's 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 quite strange that um, you know in in a, in a tournament and in a, in a sport where home advantage is so important. Um, especially for these two teams, the Welford Road and, and Thoman Park, these are two kind of really tough places to go. Um, that you know the the the, the, um, the away team is, is usually coming out on top, so um, it's a bit of a strange one. But um, I think there's there's great similarities between the two teams and, and their their their, uh, their supporters. Their, you know that their the way they play the game and and uh, and, uh, and the players involved and and, and uh, their home venues. So. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 certainly 
you know, back in the day, certainly in the early 2000s, you know, Leicester were the team to beat. Um, and uh, obviously I'd, I'd won a couple, two or three Heineken Cups, and, and then we came along and, and started winning a couple. So those, those battles and were, were really, I suppose, the peak of both teams' powers, so, you know, certainly in, in the kind of mid-early 2000s. And, uh, um, yeah, kind of very fond memories of them as well, too. You referred to Welford Road there. It, Welford Road is, uh, obviously to English rugby, what Pope and Park is to Irish rugby in many senses. It's a place that no team likes to come to and is a very difficult place to go and get a victory in. I was lucky enough to experience it myself last year. I went over to watch JJ Hanneran play for Northampton against Leicester and I couldn't get over the volume of the place and how much of a cauldron it felt like. It was really enclosed and it reminded me of Thoman Park in a lot of ways. What are your memories of playing at Welford Road? Yeah, I think well, I think they've done probably a bit to it now as well, and it's, it's certainly a fantastic place to go and play. And it is, I mean, it's it's the the, the crowd are on top of you. Obviously, a very knowledgeable and, and uh, passionate local crowd. You know, very very similar to to here in Thomond Park, and and uh, when when uh, teams come to, to, to Munster, and I think that's possibly helped um, both teams to win away. Because they're they're used to playing in that environment, uh, albeit with with maybe more of the crowd shouting for you um, when you're when you're playing at home. But but when they go away, uh, when Munster go to Welford Road and, and when Leicester come to, come to Thomond Park, I think they relish that that atmosphere and that cauldron. And um, it's not as off putting maybe as, as it is to other teams who who, who aren't used to the, the the you know the passion and and the, the I suppose just the atmosphere that that that's around and. Uh, I think uh, I think maybe that's a reason why why teams why, why Munster can perform over there and Leicester can come over here and perform and um, they they won't be daunted by by the um, by the crowd as such. You mentioned that Leicester were the team to beat in the early two thousands. Leicester have always been a powerhouse of European rugby. And when Munster would have initially gone toe to toe with them in the early two thousands, they would have very much been the underdogs in those encounters. Then Munster became the dominant force in European rugby, and now you could say that it's gone full circle a little bit. In that Munster would be very much the underdogs coming into this weekend's game. How impressed have you been by what Munster have shown, not just in the last few weeks uh, after the tragic death of Axel, but? throughout the course of this season and how much of a better place do you think Munster are in compared to when they were going into this fixture in 2015? I think it's, it's chalk and cheese, isn't it? Um, you know, where, where the team is, um, I suppose, in, in terms of, you know, mentality, in terms of their confidence, in terms of how they're playing, um, uh, in terms of, um, you know, I suppose how they see themselves as well going into this match. And um, Yeah, look, I think massive massive momentum um monster massive momentum coming into this with six wins on the trot and, and you know six really impressive wins to win up in monster to win to win um you know coming from from behind and to to win in um in glasgow just last weekend to you know sealing it with with a, a one point drop goal in Keatley. you know that kind of it speaks volumes of you know even when the, when the chips are down that they're they're finding a way to win these games and um, and that's that's going to be brilliant. And even just the style, I think that they're playing, they seem to be they seem to be relishing their rugby. Um, but so too, I think our, our Leicester. I think they've won five on the bounce themselves. So they're they're coming in with a with a bit of um, with a bit of momentum too. And uh, you know that number nine uh, battle is going to be really fascinating mm-hmm. and a great one to watch. I think you know you've Ben Youngs and, and Connor Murray. 
uh, going toe to toe and in, in you know sure that they will be picked on the line squad and will be going to toe for the test spot there as well and 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 prior to that they'll be going toe to toe and possibly what could be the the game of the Six Nations, the last game England v, v Ireland, that's going to be uh, that's going to be massive. And they're going to be two two linchpins of, of both those of both those teams and uh, two real form players and and a lot a lot of feeds from 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 you know from Murray and and, and from um, from Young. So um, yeah, it, it's 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 going to be an epic battle. There's no, no doubt about that, and there's going to be some some great um, great one on ones maybe throughout throughout the throughout the. You know the teams. You, you possibility of Manu Tuilagi, who who came back there after two months, been off last week, last weekend against Northampton, and um, and maybe Taco Tau. You know the two of those running at each other is going to be fairly seismic. But all through it, I think this is going to be fascinating um, little 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 subplots. But um, yeah, I, I think hopefully the monster will, will will maybe have that bit more momentum. They have been, as you said, really impressive. Um, you know. Passing of Anthony and and uh, has certainly been a catalyst for them to to push themselves and and they they I think they just they are realizing they realize very quickly um, in that Glasgow match um, you know how, how good they were I think um, and it certainly forced them to to play uh, you know above maybe where the, where they perceive perceive themselves to be and 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 when you have the whole team doing that and guys coming in feeding into that confidence and and uh, and pushing themselves to to raise the bar and raise their standard and and uh, kind of not settling for for you know for lower standards. I mean that's very very powerful and very very uh, potent. So um, you know there's no doubt that this Leicester team jam packed full of full of quality. Um, but um, there's no reason why why Munster shouldn't be going out there and backing themselves. Finally, David, you will be covering the game for BT Sports. You'll be casting an analytical eye on it. What area of the field do you think Munster are going to have to dominate in in order to get the better of Leicester Tigers this weekend? Uh, Leicester obviously rely hugely on their pack, on their line-out and on their scrum. Two areas which may have been somewhat weaker last season for Munster than they have been this year, but they have very much been revitalised and become dominant areas for the side in recent weeks and months. You alluded to a number of individual battles there, but where do you think is going to make or break the fixture from a monster point of view? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's up front. You know, you know yourself, Duncan. It's, it's the forwards who de- who decide who wins, and the backs decide how, how how much you win by. Um, these two teams, I suppose, typify that that style of play. You know, that that dominance up front, um, and the backs feeding off that, and and, and uh, yeah, it's it's it's, it's it's I suppose heightened, you know, in, in this match, you know, that 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 dominance, that that physicality uh, up front, you know, come come breakdown, come maul, come come scrum, line out, all those things, all those areas are going to have to be so so nailed on, um, uh, you know, to, to get the win this weekend. Um, you know, you've 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 the likes of maybe John Ryan, if, if Marcus Ertz is 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 fit, you know, going up against him, is world class, and John Ryan is a guy. Who's, Who's coming into so much form as well, and, and uh, that's going to be another intriguing battle. But it's yeah, I mean, the, as I said, the you know both teams are littered littered with with quality, and there there are going to be those battles. But yeah, I think the breakdown is possibly going to be going to be one area where where you know I think we're going to have to dominate them, um, and, and uh, you know feed off that quick ball and and you know get it to, to our back three, um, who who've been playing brilliantly, and that's that's another intriguing intriguing. I suppose subplot is, is is who's going to play in, in you know uh, those wing and, and full back positions. 
we've got a, a trio who've, who've been, you know, probably one of the form trios or form units in in in, in Irish rugby maybe um, at the moment with with Darren Sweeten and Andrew Conway and uh, Ronan Manny um, and obviously we got Keith Earls and, and Simon Zebo coming back into that as well into the mix. So you know what way we go on that is is going to be um, is going to be interesting. But I mean. Oh, we think we're just so lucky to have that strength and depth and quality, um, you know, in, in any team. But um, but uh, you know, even just at the provincial level, it's, it's it's pretty amazing. David, it's been great chatting to you. Thanks very much for taking the call and enjoy the game. Thanks for having me, Duncan. I'm Duncan Casey. Thanks for tuning in to episode one of the Crooked Feed. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe to Monster Rugby on iTunes and SoundCloud. See you again soon. The Crooked Feed podcast. 